This episode contains some strong language. Netaporte presents The Incredible Women Podcast, Series 3 The New Guard. Hi, I'm Kay Barron, Fashion Director at Netaporte. And in this episode of The Incredible Woman Podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by the spoken word poet and writer, Melissa Lozada Oliva. Melissa came to prominence after her electric performance of Like Totally Whatever won the National Poetry Slam Championship in 2015 and subsequently went viral. Challenging the belittling of ways that young women speak, lines included, it's like maybe I'm so used to speaking in questions because I'm so used to being cut off. This interrogation of portrayals and policing of womanhood underlies much of Melissa's writing, which also intersects Latin identity, experiences of immigration, and where a sense of belonging comes from. This month, she releases Dreaming of You, a surreal story written entirely in verse and which traverses themes of loneliness, heartache, fandom, and disillusionment. It is cited as one of the year's most anticipated novels, and she is already working on a film adaptation. She also co-hosts the Say More podcast with fellow poet Olivia Gatwood, in which they discuss according to them, a lot of questions about things that don't matter. A distinct and unique voice, Melissa's words resonate with her readers, listeners and followers far and wide. Hi, Melissa. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm good. <laughs> and uh, and how is New York today? New York is good. It's like, you know, the fall just started, but it's still kind of hot outside. So people are like figuring out what they're trying to wear, you know. I'm so excited about speaking to you for lots of reasons, but one that... I feel like I don't have to check myself when I stumble over all my sentences and say um a lot as I do. Oh, that's good. <laughs> You've inspired me. I'm like, this is completely fine. I wanted to to start by going back to, to that viral and award-winning performance of like totally whatever. I mean, tell me everything about it. I think it's, it's so incredible. It's a very powerful piece. Um, how did it come into being? And, and when did you realise the scale of the reaction it was getting? Yeah, I have to really like work myself up to do it again because I I don't I don't know. It's just it's like so special. Um and it also was just like so of the moment when I was like 22 and this like fiery little spoken word poet. It came into being I was working like 40 hours a week at this bookstore in Boston and I was just like everyone around me, all of the staff around me was a woman and Often the customers who would come in were these like old like Harvard professors and you know I'd just be chatting with my coworkers in the aisle and then so many times uh, these like old white men would just interrupt us <laughs> and be like do you know that you sound very inarticulate right now because you keep saying like and um and ah um, and I was just like I've had enough and yeah there was this poem called like Lily like Wilson by Taylor Molly that I watched um, and Taylor Molly was this like huge um, influence in the spoken word community for a long time and I did this response poem to him so that poem is very much like after his poem and it's this like actually you're criticizing the way women speak and you don't need to um, I wasn't prepared for the response to it um, I had done it a few times with like my spoken word team in rehearsal and then they threw me up at the end of the National Poetry Slam competition and everyone was like whoa this is exactly what we needed to hear yeah, and it kind of disappoints me that it's still relevant because I wish, you know, 
people didn't have to feel bad about the way they speak. But I'm I'm glad it still hits the chord. <laughs> well, I think it's, I mean it's so important that it's still being surfaced as well. The pressure of that as well, when you have a moment like that and you've written something like that, does that then affect you know kind of how you approach your work going forward? Yeah, I mean I think it did. I think it was. I mean it was really exciting the attention that poem initially gave me, and I started getting a lot of work out of it. I started going to a lot of colleges and doing like performances and getting paid to be a poet, which is insane. (laughs) But, you know, that was really remarkable. I think I started having this a bit of a genre shift in my life um, a, a few years after that where I was like, oh, I'm not necessarily this like what I do is uh, um, not necessarily all about like f- like feminist empowerment. I started like being like, oh, I'm actually I want to lean more into this like haunted space where I'm actually still talking about like being a woman and being Latina and all of those things, but through this different lens. So yeah, that was challenging, but I, I don't know. I like where I'm at now. So <laughs> as you said, you know, it was written six years ago. It's still being surfaced mm-hmm. now. But do you think that things have changed in the way that women's voices and stories are portrayed? Um, I think we're in a rather exciting moment where people want stories about complicated women and they want to see a main character on the screen who is messy and doesn't have her shit together. I feel like there's still a lot of pressure, honestly, for women to be like five steps ahead. Um, And... I feel like I see like a lot of my peers like, you know, stepping on eggshells when they're around spaces of authority. I'm still like that. I still I still have such a problem actually interacting with like masculinity or like authority. And I get like super small. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's this weird thing that's been, you know, drilled into my brain forever. But yeah, still a challenge. (laughs) But how do you feel that you can kind of move on with that? Because it's more, it's that whole, you need that confidence kind of going into that room. And it's such, I envy people who do have it. Sometimes when you do hear a man speak suddenly, you're like, how do you have that confidence to to talk that way and just (laughs) kind of propel your voice in that way? I know. And it's just like someone in a certain like body raised in a certain way has never been told that they should shut up. (laughs) I feel like you know, sometimes I'm still like, oh, my God, I'm a lot. I'm so much. I should really reel it in. So I think I, you know, trying to move forward that way, being like, I know recently I've been like, you know what? I'm fucking dope. So I think I, I don't have to apologize for things. <laughs> no, please don't reel it in. We need more of you. <laughs> yeah. I want, I want all of it all the time. <laughs> and I want to talk about your new novel as well, mm-hmm. Dreaming of You. I mean, it's amazing, but it's it's quite um quite bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> it is quite bonkers. Um, so basic premises: um, a young Latina poet whose name is also Melissa brings Selena Quintanilla back to life through a séance, and then there are disastrous consequences. <laughs> so I I thought of this. I was dressed up as Selena for um, Halloween, and I went to this karaoke bar. And I put in my song, and then they never called me, and I got very drunk, and I was like, this is crazy! Um, and I think a lot about that night. I don't know why. I had this, like, idea in my head where I was like, what if Selena came back from the dead, and she saw all of these people dressed up as Selena, and she was somehow the most authentic Selena because she was Selena, but no one believed her. Um, and then this, like, zombie Selena thing was just, like, knocking around in my head, 
And then I just was writing all these Selena poems that were zombie-esque. And I was also writing all of these love poems. So I also, you know, I wanted to write a story. So writing it was, it was very important for me for the poems to sing. And in that way, I think of it as this like rock opera. (laughs) I mean, I'm all in for that. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty kooky. Did you find the process of writing that very different from... I mean, obviously writing just like an individual piece. Yeah, I think it was different because it was this like beast. And I think I wasn't ready for it to be like packaged as a novel. I was like, this is like a experimental like concept album. (laughs) I think it's like weirdly traditional too. There's like a Greek chorus, you know, it's kind of like Ovid's metamorphosis in some ways. Like it's not as like weird as I think it is. (laughs) And one of the key themes is fandom and the obsession that there can be around the cult of celebrity, as we all know very well. Yeah. How are you finding kind of being in the public eye yourself now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little strange. I feel like I'm someone described me as like situationally famous, where it's like, oh, it's like a niche group of people who like were on YouTube in 2015 um, might recognize my voice or something. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. It's weird. In the last like five years, I started gaining like a lot of followers. And sometimes I'm recognized on the street. Um, and someone says something like, oh, I knew you like you were so important to me in high school. And, you know, that makes me feel like old. <laughs> Um, but I think there is a lot of pressure to not like fuck up and there's a lot of pressure to be like, oh, I I, like, I don't want to disappoint you because when we are fans of people, we start to dehumanize them, right? We put them on this impossible pedestal and when people, you know, mess up, when they get canceled, um, it's because they've revealed this like, you know, the ugliest, most disgusting human part of themselves that we just like don't want to see and can't handle. And then there's this disillusionment. Um, And I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with that space of being like, I mean, I'm still like, what happens when this musician fucks up? But whenever I hear their song, like I can't help but like tap my fingers and like want to dance. And, you know, that's what's complicated. It's like, what happens when we like love someone anyway? And I think I think that's really cool. (laughs) As your followers are, are growing, how do you feel about social media now? Um, I feel like it's almost I need to think of it more as a as a job because when I I need to like share my work on it, I need to be active on it because if I'm not, then um, I don't make money in this way. It's this like strange pipeline. So it's been freeing being like, okay, I don't have to share my personal things on like my public page. I can have my group chat for that. (laughs) But just this like fear that some of us have of what if like we can't take it like not sharing our secrets because it feels so lonely too. (laughs) You have written some very candid think pieces for publications. Mm -hmm. How do you feel when you put those kind of things out into the world? And I mean, it, it must kind of open you up a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's really scary. It's very vulnerable. Um, I think think pieces also um, because you can just like, I don't know, they're just like so readily available. It's so easy for those to be like picked apart and be like, okay, like what you said here was a little problematic. What you said here was like a little underdeveloped and not thinking of like certain groups of people. So essays are very hard and scary. And I feel like there's three people in the world who can write them very well. And it's still like a space that like terrifies me, but it is fun to put those up there. But that is like, I honestly, like when I feel the most vulnerable, when I put out a think piece. (laughs) 
And when you're writing something like that, do you write it with somebody in mind who's reading you? I feel like I... Sometimes if I have a crush on somebody, I'm like, okay, they're going to see this and they're going to read it. I'm going to sometimes I like I think of them or I think of like my friends. Are they going to be like, okay, like Melissa is onto something or just like I do think of like the random faceless like Internet person who's going to be like trolling me later. I'm like, what are they going to think of this? Of course, I'm thinking about everybody. Yeah, Um, it's hard not to. Speaking to the to the Internet trolls do you I mean do you read all of that stuff too or do you try and block it out uh, I really need to try to block it out sometimes I I've been going on goodreads lately because there's um, advanced reviews of dreaming of you and I'm like I just like go through all of these and like watching people like really not get it watching people get it um you know and I think I had this like story on audible and I was just like reading the reviews and like spiraling and being like oh my god <laughs> like <laughs> Um, You know, it's not just like my close circle of friends reading this anymore. It's like, um, you know, masses of of people. I really should block it out, but I don't know. I'm working on that in therapy, actually. (laughs) Good, good. Well, if you do read them, do read the ones that from the people who get it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You don't need to look at the ones who don't get it. But because um, clearly you're not busy enough, you're also working on the film adaptation of the book as well. Mm-hmm. Is that the, obviously the first time that you've you've worked in that kind of discipline? How are you finding that? Yeah, I mean, it's really fun. Like writing a screenplay is a lot like um, writing a poem and that in a poem, there's like limits. Um, there's like this economy of words. There's like really needing to grab the reader's attention right away. And, you know, there's like the sonnet format where you only can write like 14 lines in 10 syllables and iambic pentameter. And in the similar sense, a screenplay also has these these rules, which also make it like sometimes the more rules you have, the more you can say because all of the gunk gets like shoved away. Um, so that's been really fun. And um, who would you love to play Melissa? Oh, my gosh. You know, someone else asked me that. And I really, like, don't know enough, like, Latina actresses. The only person I can think of is that young actress from You, um, who's also going to be in, like, Wednesday Addams. <laughs> um, but I feel like I'm like, what if we do, like, an open call and I just see, like, a line of people who, like, look like me? That would be insane. <laughs> That's what they did for the Selena movie, actually. How, would that make you feel? That would make me feel a bit weird, I think. I'd feel so weird. <laughs> be very surreal (laughs) it's weird it's like looking at somebody being like are you a better version of me i know right it's like (laughs) did you get it right see lockdown was kind of horrific for everybody in in different ways at different times how did you find it in terms of of being creative and finding inspiration yeah um i mean i think i'm one of those psychos who was very productive during quarantine and it's literally because like i don't know what i would have done if i didn't have like writing to to like get me through that. Um, so I found it like weirdly helpful. I spent a lot of time writing. I, I I started having a routine. I never had a routine. I was like, I would write for like half an hour a day. And then like during quarantine, I developed this like really rigid routine of eating a big breakfast, taking all of my million supplements, having a cup of coffee, and then having like four hours to write and edit and not being interrupted. And I'm, like, weirdly grateful for that. And, like, I think it's important for me to acknowledge that, like, I was really productive and it was healing somehow, but it was, like, a coping mechanism for what was going on, you know? 
are you sticking to those to the longer hours every day of writing? When Sometimes, you can? yeah, I I really try to, and I try not to beat myself up when I can't, um, and I try to like listen to when you know when I need like a break, and a lot of writing is is not writing, and it's just like experiencing and collecting moments, um, and reading. So I try to be kind with myself when I can't when I can't get there. Where do you collect those moments from? Now that I'm social again, I I do that like with people. I like the summer has been uh, really nuts, but I feel like I've been so present in every moment in almost this really overwhelming way where I'm just like, oh my god, everything everybody is saying is like extraordinarily uh, magical and poetic and all of these moments are just like um, really like filling me all the way up so I would say there I'd say just like listening to people I don't have like a regular job anymore but before that I was when I was working retail oh my god that was every day was inspiration (laughs) in your work you raise up uh, non-stereotypical and non-cliche female narratives is that something that's always driven you? Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a house of just women, and they were all, like, really intense, loud, um, angry, hilarious women who are very complicated and are very, like, at the core of who I am. I was, like, the calm one around them, but I think my love for them, for my sisters and my abuela and my and my mom— um, and how just like messy and hilarious they are really like inspires me to like draw up complicated women. And um, I also feel like, you know, as like a Latina, I don't get to see like us fail, I guess. I feel like every project someone has to do has to be like so fucking like remarkable um, and kind of like type A almost. And I'm like, where's like, where's the messiness? You know, where's the mistakes that these like white girls get to make? You know, that's what I try to do. <laughs> Failure is so important, isn't it? Because then you've got you otherwise you've got yeah. nothing to compare anything to. Even the way you speak now, there's very serious topics that you that you talk about, but there's a lot of humor um, in your writing. And the way that people react as well when you are performing to pieces, I think, you know, there's like the kind of laughter and then the intake of breath and, and then people, you know, you can almost hear them punch there to be like, oh, God, this is what I've been thinking. Yeah. Finally somebody's yeah. saying it. It Does the humor help in terms of navigating those subjects? Right. Yeah, I think humor always helps. And I think it is it's this very like powerful um, and scary tool to use because sometimes it can be used to to hide things that are a lot um, like scarier. I think a lot about like the relationship between humor and um, like drama or seriousness, sadness, grieving. Um, because my friend Human Win has said like when you make the reader or the listener, the watcher laugh, they feel more comfortable with you and they feel like your friend and then they feel more open and they've like opened themselves up. They've opened their hearts up more to hearing something more serious and then there's a punch to it. Um, One of my biggest inspirations, I don't know if this is like embarrassing, but like David Sedaris, I read him a lot growing up and he was, you know, just like very funny writing about his family and he has this short story called Ashes, which is about his mom dying from lung cancer. And it's just like this hilarious portrait of his mom. Um, And then I'm like crying at the end of it because like um, you see how like problematic she was, how funny she was. And then like 
she is dead and you're like shit you just you just destroyed me <laughs> because you like you gave me this like full package of a person i think nick hornby um does that really well too like the funny and the, and the somber those two things are are married together for sure i think with especially with david sedaris and you know and you you feel part of that family you do yeah i feel like i feel like i know his sisters i know and you know and all his and all his habits it's so powerful it is because i've read that that you've said before i like when things are a little funny so that i have space to be a little sad right yeah i think you kind of have to be you know i think it it's been i'm trying to use it more as a tool instead of a crutch you know i'm trying to make it a way of like of shedding light on an emotion that is complicated instead of being like, let's hide my emotions behind this wall of clownery. <laughs> exactly. And I think clownery sometimes can, can slip into self-deprecation. And I think that's when the balance is... That's when it's off. That's when it kind of... Yeah. I also want to talk about your Say More podcast that you present with Olivia Gatwood. And I know that you discuss, according to you, a lot of questions about things that don't matter. But tell me where that came from, the relationship you have with Olivia and what those questions are. Like I met Olivia in the spoken word scene and we both had a gap in our teeth and we're kind of talking about this sim- like similar things and we became instant best friends. So we started Say More like in 2018, I think. And we both like know a lot of stuff about things that aren't necessarily important. So... Because, like, I don't know, for some reason, we both go down these specific holes. And it was like just our podcast is a way for us to let ourselves go down these holes and also a way for us to kind of bring legitimacy to these topics that seem like they don't matter to the public. And are you a planner? Have you got kind of, you know, plans for your career where you see yourself in the next five years? Is that in your nature? Yeah, I'd really try to be a planner. I think it's so hard to um, in this world where I'm like, okay, um, are we going to have a spring season in two years? Um, Is I'm trying not to be like too doomsday, but I'm like, how do you plan when there's doomsday happening everywhere? But yeah, I just want to be able to like support myself while writing. Um, I want to like write a movie. I want to write for TV. Um, I would love for some handsome producer to fall in love with me and take me to the Met Gala. I just want to go to the Met Gala and gossip. That's my that's my five year plan is to gossip with celebrities. <laughs> oh my! That, I said that's an excellent yeah. plan to me. I think yeah, Met, Met Gala was on my five year plan, and I think it's on every five year yeah. plan. And I not there yet, but I so I also think the pressure of the Met Gala. And I'd probably like do the assignment wrong and like dress up as a lamp or something. That's the whole point of the mm-hmm. Met Ball. I want to see somebody dressed as a lamp. So basically, TV, film, hot producer, netball. That's those. Those are the dream goals. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Check in um, in five years. <laughs> you know, obviously, we're we're huge fans, and I think you're incredible. Thank you. Um, and your work, your work has just been has been so important. Even to, you know, just just to this stage, and there's so much more mm. to come. But who do you consider to be? your kind of new trailblazer? Ooh, I think I'm, I mean, she's gotten so much um, press in the last year and a half, but Raven Laney, she wrote this book called Luster, and she is just, I don't know, 
really not afraid to be this like complicated woman and I just like I love the way she writes about sex I love the way she you know talks about like race and class and um, I'm not even like going into like how amazing she is but she really like changed the game and I'm really happy to like be in like a contemporary moment with her I cannot wait to see what happens next and good luck with the thank book. you so much and a screenplay um, and I can't wait to see who, who will play the um, there isn't a better version of Melissa <laughs> we'll see. but um, who, who will play a version right, of Melissa right the evil Melissa uncanny but um, honestly I really appreciate um, you taking the time to, to speak to us I've really enjoyed it yeah I've really enjoyed myself thank you so much for having me this has been really nice enter the code the new guard at the checkout for 10% off your first net order T's and C's and exclusions apply. The New Guard was brought to you by Netaporte and Chalk and Blade, hosted by Kay Barron and produced by Laura Hyde. The team at Netaporte was led by senior editor Katie Barrington, with casting by Annabelle Brog and Olivia Wakefield. The executive producer at Chalk and Blade was Ruth Barnes, with original music by Alex Portfelix and engineering by Matt Nielsen. Listener.